But I'll tell you, when I started this, uh, digital cameras were just coming out. So we were shooting with film cameras. And the, what we had to do is dress the set, take shoot it with the, the film camera. And then I had to step in and take a Polaroid. And we would sit there and shake them out, peel it off, look at it and go, oh, that needs to move a little bit to the left. And then there was no Photoshop. So you had to get it right because they couldn't fix it in post. So I didn't do that for very long. I started when cameras, digital cameras were, were coming out. And I remember photographers saying, I will never do that. I will never use a digital camera. where we talk about everything from food photography, styling to business and mindset. After 15 years as an architect, I switched careers and I'm now a professional food stylist and food photographer based in Singapore. I'm also the founder of the business My Food Lens, where we help clients elevate their brand through drool-worthy photos. My motto is, put your best food forward. Well, here on this podcast, I promise to keep it raw and real and hope you find your answers, action and inspiration as we move through the episodes. Today, we are talking to Susie Eaton and she's a professional food stylist based in the United States. She has nearly two decades of professional food experience. I'm, I'm talking 20 years of food styling experience. That is something. <laughs> she's also styled food for like world-renowned chefs, award-winning restaurants, and a ton of food and media organizations across the country. And you know what? She's also styled for Hollywood. Her background is very rich, but also her story is very strong because she comes from an art background and how she transitioned into food styling and what has evolved over the years for her is a wonderful story that I think you should not miss. And in all her years of professional food styling, Susie has gone and actually perfected her food styling skills. And today she has proprietary techniques that makes her stand apart from all her other competitors. Like she is my food styling guru. I've been connected connected to her for many, many years on Instagram. I never miss her Insta stories because they are such a wealth of knowledge. She shares all her behind the scenes and I see all the hard work that she does. And the way this woman knocks out food for the camera is absolutely incredible. You guys have to check out this episode and everything that Susie is going to share with us because it is going to change everything that you know about food styling or it's going to tell you so much more than you already know about food styling. Hi, Susie. Welcome to My Food Lens Podcast. It's absolutely wonderful to have you here. And it's even more wonderful because I've known you on Instagram for so many years. And it's been such a pleasure just seeing all the incredible stuff that you do. I'm always hooked every time you're at the, you know, at the boot of your car, putting stuff together or you're styling <laughs> for Hollywood or you're doing a commercial shoot. I am hooked. And not just that, like every time I'm in a food styling pickle, every time I'm ready to shoot something new, I'm like, hey, Susie, can you help me? You've always been so generous. So always given me such practical and easy tips that, you know, the shoot's always gone incredibly well. And that's why I'm super pumped about our energetic content 
conversation today. I know that we're going to get into food styling like we've never talked before. And we're going to get into all the nitty gritties, what it takes, who it's for, and what it really means in the true sense. So I'm going to stop talking now and I'm going to let you introduce yourself so our audience can get to know you a little better. Thank you so much. I'm so happy you asked me because I've really never met you in person. And this is probably the closest I will get to meet you in person unless I ever get to Singapore. Because that's where you are, right? That's right. That's what I thought. Okay, I would love to get there someday, but this is great. And you're so kind. Um, My name is Susie Eaton, and I'm a professional food stylist. And I have been a stylist for about 20 years now, going on 20 years. I live in Salt Lake City, Utah, but I travel a lot. I work a lot on the West Coast. So I'll work in uh, LA and Las Vegas and some really anywhere, but the West Coast kind of keeps me busy. But I do work a lot here in Salt Lake. Wonderful. And uh, 20 years, 20 years is a very long time. Yeah. <laughs> so, so did you always start as a food stylist or did some, there was a sequence that led you to food styling? Definitely a sequence. I think a lot of times jobs find us rather than us finding our jobs. Yeah. I know you have a, you have a good story too about, you know, finding your way, but I've always been an artist. Uh, even as a child, I used to draw and paint and I used to uh, help my teachers out in school and things like that. They always kind of put me on special projects so I could help with the art in the classroom. So I knew I wanted to do something creative and artistic my whole life. I went to college and I never graduated from college because I took all of the art classes up front and I never did my generals because I didn't want to do math. I didn't, I didn't care. I just like, why do I need math? Why do I need, you know, I just wanted to, so I took all my, my good art classes and learned a few things there and just kind of, I didn't know what I wanted to do though. I didn't know if I wanted to just be a painter or a graphic designer, which I actually did for a while. Um, oh. I worked for a corporation just as um, I worked for the phone company at some point in my life for about 11 years. Oh, wow. And while I was there, they had an art department, they had a graphics design department. So I, I went back to school and learned graphic design and, and did some of that for a while. But that kind of a little bit led me here. I, I was working for a newspaper, but I was painting for people. I actually wrote a book um, called Whisper Painting. It's so old, you'll never be oh, able to wow. find it. It's like from 2000 and it was a decorative painting book. So I had to do all these projects showing people easy ways to decoratively paint their walls. It was really popular, like in the early 2000s people. So I used to do that. I used to do faux finishes on walls. I used to do murals in kids' rooms and things like that, kind of on the side. And that's kind of what got me here because I was volunteering my time uh, to a children's charity for a Christmas village. It was called Christmas Village. And they paint all these like small houses and they put elves in them and things like that. So they had to be faux painted, which I was painting faux brick on the outsides of these houses. And the woman that was running the charity happened to own a publishing company. And when she had saw my work, she was like, oh, you got to come work for me. So I ended up going to work for her as her in-house artist and stylist. And I didn't even know what that was when she told me, you could be my stylist. And I was like, well, yeah. what's that? So it wasn't food though. It was all prop. And, and then we eventually moved into set decorating. So her company, um, the book, the types of books she made were how to books. So for instance, I might, we might have uh, a jeweler who wanted, who was writing a book about jewelry make, and then they would send me about, you know, 25 pieces of jewelry. And then I would put all those pieces of jewelry in little vignettes, you know, and style it and prop it and all of that. And we'd take the picture. So I did that for about three years and that's, it gave me a really good base about styling. 
you know, wow. that, that, yes. I didn't know anything about styling, but that gave me a really good base with styling. And then we started doing set decorating because we turned those books into interactive DVDs. And so I'd have to build a set and decorate it kind of represented what the author's style was. So anyway, after a couple of years of doing that, the the owner of the company kind of just decided not to do it anymore. And we, we all just parted ways and lost our jobs. And oh, gosh. yeah, but you know, it was really great because I didn't know what I was going to do at the time. I, I knew I loved to style and I, I just was, I was looking in the paper for other jobs and what am I going to do? Should I be a graphic artist again? And I just thought maybe I could go freelance and do this. And I was a single mom at the time, so I didn't have any other income. And I was, just, it was just so terrifying, but I decided to try to do it. I just put myself out there as as a stylist. And I I was only intending to do props, prop styling and set decorating. But just for a whim, I thought, well, I'll just add food because how hard could that be? You know, <laughs> and, and I really didn't, I really didn't think it would come up very often. I just didn't know what the demand was for food styling. Mm-hmm. And people started calling. And I kind of freaked out a little when they first started calling because I didn't really know what I was doing. I knew how to style. But yeah. I, I wasn't a food stylist. When I knew what the found out what the product was, and I got my hands on it, I I started messing with it. And I just realized this is just another art project because it's not about what it tastes like. It's about what it looks like. Thinking of it that way really helped me just go crazy and and do what I needed to do, whether it was painting it, frying it, pinning it, gluing it, you know, whatever I needed to do to make the food look good. And then it just kind of, it went crazy. And now 80% of what I do is food styling. I still do those other things, but food has taken over my life, which I'm really happy that it has. Wow. So I had no idea that you started off as a prop stylist. Do you work as both prop stylist and a food stylist usually? Yes, I do. Because uh, different areas do have different kind of rules or the way they do things. Here in Salt Lake City, when I do food styling, I'm also the prop stylist. So I will go get all of the uh, dishes or whatever we're working on. I also provide the surfaces. So I have a garage full of surfaces that I make. Um, but in LA, they, they do it differently. They have prop stylists and food stylists. So if you're the food stylist, you don't do the props. It's kind of nice because when I'm in LA, I don't want to shop a lot for things and carry them around and then try to return them. But they're, it's a little difficult because I find that when I'm not in control of the props, I don't really have what I need because mm. their shop, they're thinking, oh, that would look good. That would right. look good. But you, when you're a food stylist, you know what kind of dish it needs or what color of a dish it needs or how big, how much soup you're going to have. And it needs to have a smaller bowl. And they, you know, sometimes I get on set and I have these crazy ornate weird bowls that yeah, because somebody, yeah. somebody thought it was pretty, but it's really not appropriate. So there are times when I just, it's a little bit frustrating when you don't get to pick the props. Right. But so is there a way that you could define food styling for us? Like what it really means? Yeah, I would say, um, I think food styling, you know, there's, I think there's a general explanation. Of course, it just means making the food look good for camera. And I, I think that it's a very, it's used very loosely these days. You know, when I first started, there were hardly any food stylists. And if you were a food stylist, you were just a commercial food stylist and you needed to know how to glue pin, you know, and make that burger look juicy and how to melt cheese and how you, you needed to know that. But with, you know, the invention of social media and all that goes on, it's really kind of changed. And a lot of people call themselves food stylists. And I think you know, in a way that's fair because if anytime you're arranging food or trying to make your food look good to take photos of it, 
it really is called food styling. So anymore, I just try to distinguish it between a commercial food stylist or a professional food stylist. And so I usually say that now, so I so that there's no confusion right. with you know that I that I'm a blogger or you know something like that. Not that that's, not that's anything I'd be ashamed of, but for me to be yes. a food stylist when clients are talking to me, I need to distinguish that. So that's great because I definitely would love to know like what are the different kinds of food styling? Are you do you do it differently for an editorial shoot? Would you do it differently for commercial? And is there any like you said commercial and professional? Are there mm-hmm. any other categories? <clears throat> I would no. I, I kind of feel like they're they're really split into two. I think there's commercial food styling and there's editorial food styling. And editorial food styling is more new for sure. I mean, I think it's the editorial magazines have been around forever. But I even then, back in the day, a long time ago, when they styled food, even for magazines, it still had to be perfect. So those photos were styled by a professional food stylist. But nowadays, editorial food styling is really more like art, like in commercial. Commercial food styling, there are there are rules. They're not defined. Nobody's written them down, but they're just rules we know that you know the burger needs to look this way, otherwise it's not going to look good on a menu board. There are things that we like. We don't take bites out of food in commercial food styling because it looks gross. It, it makes the customer feel like something gross happened there. Somebody took a bite of their food. Yeah. So, but in in editorial, you can do almost anything. It's just it's messy. Um, the sets aren't usually as messy on commercial food styling. We don't. There's not as many props. There's not as much food spilled all over the set. You know what I mean? Right. And then editorial, just there's not as many rules. You know, you can just have fun with it. So I do do both for yes. sure. And and I find them crossing over a little bit. You know, I'll do a lot of commercial food styling for an editorial type of situation where they really still want the food to look very professional and good, but mm-hmm. we're going to go a little crazy with messiness and extra food on the set or what, you know. Yeah. So it is cross. They're kind of crossing over. Wow. So I remember that I reached out to you maybe two years ago. I was getting, I was shooting for a salad chain in town and I was going to shoot wraps, vegetable wraps. Uh, and I reached uh, out to you and I was like, Susie, I'm scared. I'm so nervous. How am I going to do this? And you were like, don't worry, don't worry. And you actually gave me such like simple things. This is how you keep it in place. This is what you do. This is what you don't. And I was lit- it was literally my first wrap shoot. And it was one of the toughest things to shoot. I've done burgers and wraps and I still feel like wraps are really hard. They um, are hard. So I was like, okay, I'm doing this kind of work for a client. Am I a food stylist? Because I am preparing the food for the camera. I am shooting the food also. Am I the food stylist? So two years ago, I was also in that state of thinking, am I really in the true sense of food stylist? And then I realized that I was cooking food for them. I realized that I was preparing their tofu and the grill lines. And I I, I was in the kitchen at eight in the morning doing all those. So I was like, okay, maybe this is what food styling is about. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what do you think? I would love to have your opinion on this. Yes, I, I will tell you that wraps and burritos are very hard things to style. Um, and I think I probably told you to use super glue 
right? Yes. And two picks. (laughs) And two picks and T pins and all of that. But you know, you you never want to shoot a burrito or a wrap all wrapped up because you need to see what's inside of it. So you always have to cut it. So you cut it at some point or tear it or whatever. And it's that stuffing the, you know, inside to make it look really good and make sure everything is represented, that there's chicken, everything that's in it is represented and have it not fall out. And that's the part that will just like, you know, make you crazy. It does. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely does. That's one of the hardest things I do. But um, yes, if you were, if you were styling the food, you're styling the food. I don't usually have to do both things. Uh, I have had times where I've been the photographer and the food stylist. I don't recommend it. If people ask me, I don't recommend it because I think something suffers. I, I know when I do both things, when I'm done and I go back and start editing that photo, that I see something in the food I wish I had changed or fixed. And I also see something in the in the photo that I wish I had changed or fixed because there's just too much to think about. And True. there's this pressure to hurry and shoot it so the food doesn't die. So you're just, you're rushing, 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 and you're trying to notice everything, you know, you're trying to make sure your light is right and the shadows are in the right place and, you know, it's bright enough and all of this, but you're also trying to watch the food. And I just think something suffers in that, you know, if you're just shooting caramels or, you know, nuts on, you know, that's yeah. because then you can have all the time in the world because those things aren't going to die. But when you're shooting, I try When I have clients that ask me, I recommend that we have two. And I, and I also feel like, I don't know that they really save any money if they're trying, if it's a money saving thing, because because they're thinking, I just will hire one person mm-hmm. to do both things. And then I don't have to have a, a stylist and a photographer. But the thing is, it will take you twice as long to do it. Right. So you may only get four sh- shots done in a day if you're doing them yourself, as opposed to eight or 10 if you have a team of people. But so I do true. know it's necessary. And I have done it before. <laughs> <laughs> I think it probably also depends on the scope and also the client, probably. Right, right. Um, but but this is a great segue into the next question because I've heard so many stylists talk about uh, having a culinary degree, doing a course in culinary arts or going to culinary school. Like the culinary training is essential to become a food stylist? No, I have none. I have no culinary training whatsoever. I, I do know that most of the time food stylists come from culinary education. I think it's just a natural progression. They become chefs. A lot of times they become pastry chefs chefs after that, which is a really an artful thing to do. And they learn how to plate things really, really nicely. And then they work on photo shoots because the restaurant might want photos and then a food stylist will come in and whatnot. And they, and they start to see, oh, wow, that's really an interesting thing. Maybe I should do that. So it happens a lot that they come from that direction. You know, I came from the art side, which in some ways I think is more beneficial for me because I can style the food and the set. And if you don't have that sense of style, then doing the whole entire set can be tricky for someone who may be really great at styling the plate and putting food on there. But then when they have to put it on set, they just don't know what to do with the rest of it. So it's worked out for me really well to to be the artist turned food stylist. <laughs> no, that's so true. And it also has to be cohesive. So I think the food relates to the uh, ambience that you create for it. And mm-hmm. then the photographer comes into the picture. So I think just having that kind of a good blend of the props and the backdrops and the food, I think to have that cohesively done by one person, I think that's always Mm -hmm. very strong. So I wanted to also ask you, this is something I've heard on other podcasts by other food stylists.
stylist. Uh-huh. So you know how uh, you work with so many different products and so many different foods. Uh, so I'll give you an example. So, uh, so for one of my clients, I shoot smoothies mm-hmm. and they sometimes have almond butter and peanut butter. And we really need to get the texture right. Because in Singapore, it's really hot. We put it in the fridge and it just becomes like a solid lump. And you don't have that, you know, smooth texture. So we've tried so many different brands and we finally settled on one that really takes that perfect texture when it's short. So we have come to um, a point where we have particular products that we always use, uh, particular brands that we always go to. And that's the way we are doing things. Is that something that as a food stylist, you really need to have good knowledge about? Definitely. But I'll tell you what, that it, it, it changes because the clients will have different rules about their product. And I, I've i done smoothie shoots where they don't care what I put in it as long as it looks like their product or it looks better. It's usually better, looks better than their product. Usually the smoothies are too thin when they make them and they want them to look thicker. But I also have clients who want to make sure that they're using their powder, their product in it. I've had, there's, I've had to come up with different ways for different products to make things look the way they need to look. I did one recently that they were very insistent on using the actual powder that comes in it. And we kind of found that oat milk was was a thick enough milk to give it the consistency of what they were looking for. They didn't want them to look like ice cream with a swirl on top. They just wanted it to look. But I'll tell you that uh, they had had one that was strawberry flavored and they had one that was greens. And it was great that they were naturally colored products because that was more healthy. They didn't want food colors and dyes and things in that. When we made the strawberry smoothie, it was yeah. brown and it was ugly brown. <laughs> so it wasn't even like chocolate brown. It was ugly brown. And um, I asked them beforehand, you know, do you want me to color this up? And they're like, no, 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 we don't want to use it. And we put it on set and they said, okay, you, you can color this up. So I put some food coloring in it, some red food coloring, just to make it a little right. needed to look more strawberry. But you know, that's, that's the point. You can't put something on set that looks unappetizing. That's the whole point of why I'm there is to make it look appetizing. So right. yeah, I, I'll tell you that almost I come up with different things for lots of different shoots, but, but there's always those, you know, go-tos in the back of your head. And what do you think about like recipe writing? Like, is that something that a food stylist needs to know or have a skill? Because that's another thing I've heard in the market. No, No? nothing. I don't do. I think that's like a blogger food stylist, you know, for me, there are a lot of times that we have to make recipes where they'll say, we're looking for this, we're looking for that. And they'll, they'll provide the recipe because it's a recipe that is um, made from their product. Or sometimes they'll just say, we want carrot cake and brownies, whatever, whatever you want to do. But we still don't write the recipe. We find a recipe that we think will look good and we just make it. So, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's not about the recipe because it doesn't matter what it tastes like, you know? Right. We, we try to make things taste good because people always want to eat it off on the set. But it, a lot of times it doesn't. Sometimes when we make stews and soups and things and meat things, we just don't even season it. And people will go to taste it after I no salt in it. No, because there's no reason to season it. Just like there's no reason to put actual alcohol in cocktail drinks. True. You know, we just, you know, so whatever, we just, whatever it takes and make it look good. So tell me, so 20 years, I said, is just a really long time. 
<laughs> how do you so when you started to where you are today how do you think the food styling industry has evolved or your food styling mm. has changed because of the way times have changed yes i think it's changed a lot for in a lot of different ways like if you look at photos from the 90s or the early 2000s they're very yellow and wow. that was the style there was a yellow hue to it i don't know why but probably it's probably been i don't know if it's been as much as 10 years, eight years, maybe, maybe only seven or six, I started to see the color of the light change a little and it got a little more blue and a little mm -hmm. more. And that's where we are now is it's much more blue, um, much more clear, looks a lot fresher. And now when I look at those photos, I have clients that I've been shooting for forever and I'll go to their location to do a shoot now. And they had made all those photos from 15 years ago. They made them into posters and hung them on the wall. And you go in and I just look at them and I just go, ah, take those down. They're so horrible. <laughs> they are. They're just so horrible. And um, so for sure, the color of the lighting has changed. Mm hmm. Definitely, we've gone from perfect, perfect, perfect to a lot more free and messy and natural. I think right. food, I think it's more natural now. But I'll tell you, when I started this, uh, digital cameras were just coming out. So we were shooting with film cameras. And the, what we had to do is dress the set, take shoot it with a, the film camera. And then I had to step in and take a Polaroid. And we would sit there and shake them out, peel it off, look at it and go, oh, that needs to move a little bit to the left and oh do it my and do God. it and do it yes and then there was no photoshop so you had to get it right because they couldn't fix it in post. So I didn't do that for very long. I started when cameras, digital cameras were, were coming out. And I remember photographers saying, I will never do that. I will never use a digital camera. They thought it was such cheating or not representative of, and, and it's true because back then a photographer, you know, there weren't as many photographers because you had to go to school and learn how to process, you know, film and do, it was a crazy hard thing to do. And they used to make a ton of money. And, you know, with digital cameras coming in, you know, anyone can be a photographer now, even me. I mean, I've had no real training. I just taught myself. I think so, that's very frustrating for photographers too. Was it hard to be a food stylist in an era where people didn't know much about food styling? Like, I feel like even with food photography, the segment of food photography, it's really caught on really recently. People know that food photography can be taken up professionally, but food styling, I still find people here and there. So I think 20 years ago must be even harder, was it? Well, yes and no. I mean, food, food styling has been around since like the 40s and 50s, and but they called it home met. That's what it's called. And sometimes when I go work on a movie in LA or something, we're still called home ec and they'll call us on the radio and say, you know, home ec, whatever. So it still is called that a lot in the business. For sure, there were, it was probably a lesser well-known field. Like if even now when people ask me what I do for a living and I tell them a food stylist, a lot of times they're just like, what? What is that? But I think it's definitely a more used term now. So it's more easy to understand or more people know what that means. 
But I bet you back then when you said that, but they just went, wow, what the heck is that? You know, so. So I'm so curious, Susie, because I know that you do such a wide range of projects and you've done the advertising world. You've also done Hollywood. So tell me, like, how do you organize yourself? How do you prepare for a shoot? Is there a meeting? Do you create a concept? Do you have to come up with compositions that the client has to approve in advance? What are the particular points that you need absolutely sorted and approved? by the client before you step in for the shoot? Yes, yes to a lot of those uh, comments. So uh, always I need to know what it means. Like I'll get a call for a shoot and then if it's a it's a, if it's a bigger client, like if it's a movie, if it's a commercial, if it's a bigger client with a bigger product, they almost always already have storyboards or mood boards created. We for sure will have at least one conference call. Sometimes we have in-person meetings. It's slowed down a lot since uh, COVID. We used to have a lot of, they're called pre-pros, pre-production meetings. So when you can say pre-pro, we know we're going to go have a meeting. Now we have our pre-pros on Zoom a lot of the time, but you know they, they go to a lot of trouble to create mood boards and things, which helps me a ton. So I go through the mood board and I can see at least their vision of what kind of style they want, you know, what, what colors they like, whatever it's for. Um, and then we'll get on a call and it's, it's super important for me to make sure I understand what they want because I cannot show up to a shoot not prepared, cannot show up and not understand what the vision is or what we're shooting because it would be a disaster. It would be a disaster for me as, as far as my career goes. It would be a disaster for the shoot because 30 people come to a shoot sometimes. Sometimes it's 10, sometimes it's only five, but everyone came there you know, to accomplish this task. And if I don't know what I'm doing, then it's just a disaster and can't have that. So, you know, I'm really worried about it. So that's what I dream about. Those are what my nightmares are. I, I have so many dreams that I come to a shoot not prepared. I oh forgot this. Or I just, that's what my <laughs> nightmare is. So, yeah. So we'll have a, a, a conference call and I make sure I understand what we're doing. But there are a lot of clients who lean on me mm-hmm. for the vision and the direction. I, right. I say most of the time they know. A lot of times they have art directors and, and they use an ad agency a lot of the time, which their whole job is to come up with a concept and art direct it and whatever. Um, and they'll be on the shoot too. So the, I don't usually have to come up with a ton of creativity on those kinds of things. I just have to execute it. But there are, I do have some fun clients that just say, tell me what I should do with this, you know? And right. and those are fun too, where we just bring a bunch of stuff and we just, you know, I start thinking about it. This would look good. This color would look good. And I bring in a lot of things and we just kind of figure it out as we go. Wow. So there is an overlap sometimes with art direction. You could be an art director as well for a shoot. So prop stylist, art director, and food stylist for a project. Yes. And that happens with me a lot. And I think that it's not just about the food styling. I I think it's because of my background in set decorating and propping. And then I also do wardrobe. Sometimes I'll have a shoot. I have a, I have a client coming up right now where I will just be the art director slash stylist and I'm in charge of everything. So I will get the wardrobe. I will secure the props. Um, and then if, if there's a little bit of food, it's usually not a, a tight food shop. When those, when it's that kind of thing, it's more of a lifestyle thing where there's food around. There might be food on the counter. That might be, you know, it's not product shots or anything like that. So I'll just do all of it. But I'll tell you what, I have an assistant and that I can tell you, if you can arrange for an assistant, it will just say, 
save your life. It just it, it just goes so much faster. And they do all of the tedious things like hauling in the stuff, washing the dishes. You know, it just helps so much to have an assistant. And when I, when I first started, I had no idea you could even do that. And I was always trying to save the client money. So I was like, I'll just do it. And I would be on shoots for 12, 14 hours because of the cleanup after. I'd be there for two hours after washing a sink full of dishes because we were so busy during the shoot that I would just throw them to the side because you couldn't take any time. And then I started asking for an assistant and then I started kind of demanding one. I would, when I quote my shoots now, when I quote my price, it's with my assistant. And sometimes I'll have some pushback and sometimes people will say, well, we weren't planning on an assistant or they'll just say, this is a super easy thing. I don't think you'll need one, which sometimes is true. It's just something really easy that, you know, I don't, but you know, I, I get her about 70% of the time. So, and it's just awesome. And is this usually the assistant provided by the client or no, no, you, you have. Yeah. And how do you choose uh, assistant (laughs) for food styling? Well, there are people, uh, especially in LA, it just like, you know, there are food stylists, you know, who all the assistants are and you'll, you can call and ask one assistant to work. And if they're busy, they'll say, Oh, call this person. And they just refer it. But for me, my assistant is my daughter. Oh, and it works out so great because she's worked for me. She's officially worked for me for 10 years, almost 11. Wow. Um, as soon as she, she used to help me a little bit when she was still in school, like 16, 17 years old and things. But as soon as she turned 18, she yeah. has been my assistant and for 10 years. So yeah, oh my and God, she's that's incredible. great. I know she knows she's actually a better cook than I am. So we, it's really it works out great because she does a lot of the heavy cooking and she does all the dishes <laughs> and things. And then she turns the food over to me and I make it look great. And then I go to the set and I decorate the set. And a lot of times in these big shoots, they expect the food stylist to be at the set the whole time. You have to stand there mm-hmm. and make sure everything's good. So you can't be over there making the next thing. You have to be on set. So that's why you have an assistant because they're getting the next thing ready. And I think it also takes, whenever you're working with an assistant, it really takes good dynamics so that you're in sync. You know exactly what the other person is thinking. This is what they need. And, you know, the assistants are proactive. So I think it's just absolutely wonderful because no one knows you better than your daughter. <laughs> she can anticipate. Right. And that's what we have. And I'm so grateful because she knows exactly how I work. She knows what I need. I'll turn around and say, can you get me some? And she's like, got it for me yeah, in her hand. Yeah. And it is tough. I feel kind of bad for other uh, food stylists who have to just use somebody new each time or whatever, because there it's just tough to get that sink right or come up with a rapport or have them know what you want or the way you do things. It's really tough. So I am very lucky. I can totally understand. I think it just takes so much sync to have a good team structure. So tell me who else is, so you have an assistant, who else is on the set, a typical set that you would work on? Um, a typical one is probably more of a smaller thing. Um, you know, what, when you do a, a big commercial or work on a movie, there's there are a lot more people, but that's not as common as just a, a restaurant shoot or a client. I have a client uh, here that I'm getting ready to do a shoot for that I do all of their stuff in there. They're a food chain restaurant. So they have uh, restaurants in a lot of states, but they're located here. So we do all their things for their menu. And we're, we're going to do some lifestyle things with people eating. And then we're going to do things in the offices with the employees cooking and doing things. But then we'll do some tight shots of 
on all of the products. So on a shoot like that, there would definitely be me and my assistant. The photographer will come and he'll bring an assistant, sometimes two. Sometimes photographers will have an assistant and a digitech. It helps them with making sure the photos look good. And they also start to edit them a little bit, you know, on set. Right. So sometimes that happens. Uh, a lot of times, the, you know, the, the client's there, but there's two, three, four, five of the clients are there. Uh, if they have an ad agency, there'll be a couple of them there. So it could be anywhere from, you know, as small as five people, but up to maybe 10 or 12 is pretty average. Wow. That's mm -hmm. amazing. And how, when we talk about dynamics, I think a stylist and a photographer, they really need to be in sync because that's how you deliver the entire vision of the client. So tell me, how do you work like with a photographer and how do you communicate before the shoot? What happens during the shoot? Do you have to tell them that, okay, here's the style or here's the kind of light that would make the food look tasty or here's the vision and what's really the dynamics all about? That's super important. And I'm very, I'm happy to know that at least in my experience, most of the photographers I work with are so great to work with. They know that we need to get along and work together. And because I'm in Salt Lake City, Utah isn't a huge place. It, you know, we have 3 million people here in the whole entire state. It's not a huge place. So there aren't as many photographers as say in LA. So when I work in LA, I, I work with a lot of new people, but here I just have my kind of usual photographers. And I'll tell you, it's kind of interesting that um, a lot of the times I get the call first from the client and then they ask me, who do you like to use as a photographer? Wow. So I have, I have people I like to recommend because I work so well with them and I know they do a good job. So I, I do have that. Um, and then vice versa. They just always call me because I'm kind of the only food stylist. Here. I think there's one other girl that does it kind of part-time, but really as far as professional, you know, everyday career, food stylist is kind of me. And then there's just people who there's bloggers that will step in and do it sometimes or somebody knows somebody who is a good cook and they'll bring them on set. But you know, it, so I just get a lot of work. But um, in answering your question, yes, we sometimes will talk ourselves separately from the pre pro if we have concerns. Sometimes we have concerns like, geez, the shot list is out of control. You know, what are we going to do? We need to tell them that, you know, we can't do this many shots in one day and we'll, you know, we discussed that, but on set, they rely on me a lot for the vision because they don't even know half the time what we're shooting. So, you know, they come and they don't know I've been working so hard on what this food is going to look like. And they're just like, so what are we shooting and what does it look like? So I go talk to them and say, you know, let's do this. It looks kind of like this. So we should probably shoot it more like three quarters, you know, and we'll rearrange the shot list sometimes and put it in order of all the straight on shots, then three quarters, and then all the overhead. So we don't have to change the lighting and, and the um, camera angle so right. many times. So we, we do that. But yeah, they kind of really rely on me. And we and there's a lot of times where they tell me, I don't think this looks good like this. Let's let's do this. And I'm like, oh, you know, I think you're right. Because once you see it on camera or on screen, then you can really see what you're dealing with. But then there's a lot of times where I say to them, I think you need to come up. It's just, we're just not seeing enough of the top of that. Or I don't, you know, I think the lighting is too bright on that side. It's, you know, I tell them that and then they tell me stuff. And as long, you know, that's why you have to be humble. You just have to be able to take a criticism from a food from a photographer or an a an a 
agent at a, a ad agency, creative director, or even the client. And you just have to, you know, and a lot of times they're right. You know, I think I know everything and I get it on there and there sometimes they're right where they're like, yep, you're right. We need to change that. It just works out really well. Communication is key, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? Uh, and polite communication. <laughs> yeah, yes, definitely. But I'll tell you, I have some photographers that I've worked with some I just hope I never see again. Oh, no. They're so hard to get along with. It just ruins the whole shoot. You know, we just, it's just so struggle to get through it and just, it's miserable. So we, I have had some of those. Not a, not a lot, but I have. So we talked about how you start and the pre-production and we talked about who's on the set and how you communicate with the photographer and the team. What happens once the shoot is over? Like, you know, for photographers, once the shoot is over, starts the whole process of post-processing, editing. For a food stylist, what happens once the shoot concludes? Not a lot. Um, our our part of the shoot is usually a lot of pre-work because we shop for the food, we shop for the props, and you know, we have all the meetings, whatever. There's very little that we have to do after a shoot is over. A lot of it's just returns usually. There's cleanup and returns. So I'll go return dishes we didn't use or, you know, mail back things to Amazon or, or whatever. So there it's really not a ton. It, and then for the photographer, they don't do a whole lot before, but then they leave and they have all all of the rest of it to do. Right. And how does it work? Like once the photos are up as a food stylist, do you have a license to use those images? What is the usual agreement with the photographer or the client? Uh, there's not usually an agreement, but as, if you want to be technical, then we, we don't have license to use it. I'll I'll tell you that a, a good part of the time that we do shoots, we have to sign NDAs, which means that we won't disclose and we can't do any behind the scenes. We can't shoot any stories, nothing that would show the products. So if I, if I I sign those and I do stories. It's, I show a picture of the set behind us and show that we're on set today, but I can't show the actors or anything that's going on. That right. happens a lot. So anything that's like a new product or a new uh, a new dish, a new meal at a restaurant, they you know, we can't ever show that ahead of time. So I have some clients that are just like, I don't care. Shoot, post what you want. And then I have others like that. So th there's kind of a rule that after 90 days, like after they post it, you can post anything after they post it. And then like after 90 days, it's kind of a free game, free for all thing, but you never actually have the license for it. You know, the photographer always has the license. So the rule is kind of, you can't use anything to make money off of. I couldn't use a photo that I styled that the photographer shot and try to sell it or make money off of that photo. So as long as you're not trying to do that, you can pretty much post anything after as that, after that amount of time. As long as it's for self-promotion, uh, competition, yeah. featured in a magazine, all that is right and you know and it's very it's very courteous to tag everyone that was a part of it and the client likes that too because if you tag the client and this this is their product then it gives them a little plug as well so so tell me i've seen such fun instagram stories that you've posted i saw one where you had so much stuff in the boot of your car and you were organizing stuff but eight in the morning and you're just flown in and it was crazy right. and then i've seen all these fun shoots of drinks that you've done so tell me out of everything and i know hollywood movies and you know everything that you've done What's been like the most challenging project for you so far? There's There are challenging product or uh, shoots that were like difficult and horrible challenging. And then there's challenging ones that were just fun challenging. But I've had a couple 
I've told this story before. I, t- I told it when I talked to Joni Simon about how um, I had really short notice just the night before that I had to get on a plane and go to Mexico City to shoot a Thanksgiving and a Christmas commercial for Walmart. And I literally only had like 24 hours to fly there, get ready. And they don't do Thanksgiving in Mexico. So finding a turkey was a really tough thing. And I was, luckily I had, I had assistants there that were local that could show me around. And I had a driver because driving in Mexico City is like out of control. I would never be able to drive myself. So I had a driver and we just, we just hunted around and went through these cracks and crevices of the city and these back alleys and found some butchers and I found a turkey that was just so huge, so huge, but it was the only one I could find. And I got the turkey and made it look good and all of that. But that was a crazy shoot because it was so short notice and we had to have everything ready and shoot it all in one day. And then I literally went home to the hotel, came back the next morning and they had changed the whole entire house into a Christmas house. I'm talking walls and everything. It looked like a different house. They worked all night long and they flipped it to a Christmas set. And then we did all that, but I had to cook outside in a tent Wow! and I only had a pizza oven and I was trying to put my turkey in a pizza oven, which is, you know, like oh, this tall. And I put it in there and I knew what was going to happen when I took it out. It ripped the top off on one side. So luckily it was only on one side. So I turned it around and, oh, it was so stressful. So wow. stressful. No more turkeys for Thanksgiving for you. (laughs) (laughs) No, I do a lot of turkeys, actually. You do, That's one of the most trickiest ones because we don't really cook them. And you've probably seen me, you know, torch it and spray it and all this. So So I shot my first turkey last month for a client in town. And I I wasn't cooking the turkey. The chef was. And we we told them that, okay, we want a small turkey because we have a whole Christmas table layout. We wanted a small turkey. One and they made, I think, a 10 kg turkey, which is <laughs> huge. And and for them, it was important to cook it perfectly. So it was very well done. And the moment it reached the set, it was leaving out Wrinkly. all its juices yeah. and wrinkling. And it was for the next, we had to shoot with that turkey for the next five hours. And it was crazy tough. And I was like, not happy with the chef. <laughs> but I know now I know that turkey looks easy but it's not so just knowing your food well is so so important so tell me how so tell us tell us a few secrets (laughs) tell us tell us yes tell us how you um i don't know maybe drinks or ice cream or just melted cheese like something uh yes uh the turkey one is uh the secret to that is to keep it raw and i actually have a video on youtube if you look up uh suzy designs on youtube i did a whole like 15 minute video of how I do a food styling turkey and how I only put it in the oven for 30 minutes, but I show I give the recipe to the concoction that you spray on it and show how to torch it. So it's kind of just a soy sauce, kitchen bouquet mixture that you squirt on that's dark brown and then you torch it on and you just do that and do that. And then when your turkey starts to look a little old again, if you just retorch it, the skin just like sucks in really tight. Ah. So that's that's how we do like chickens and turkeys. I'll tell you that when you're when you're shooting sandwich 
sandwiches and you have mayonnaise, use vegan mayonnaise because it doesn't turn translucent. It stays white the whole time. Wow. That's a good one. Uh, If you, for American cheese, like for a burger, um, I try, try, try not to have to use um, cheddar cheese if it's at all possible because cheddar cheese gets really oily and really translucent and it looks really bad really fast. So if we can get away with the American cheese, but I've uh, found in the last couple of years that if you dip, you unwrap it and you dip the cheese in boiling water and take it right back out and put it on the burger, it looks still looks really wet and it stretches really nicely better than using the heat gun because the heat gun kind of dries out the top of the cheese and that right. way it looks really wet. So that's a good one. Wow. Um, ice cream people. This is probably the thing that people ask me the most is you get to use mashed potatoes for ice cream, right? And I don't, it's not mashed potatoes, but really what they're asking me is you get to use fake ice cream. Okay. And I do occasionally, I don't get too often because a lot of times we have to use the actual product, especially that's for packaging. But if it's a lifestyle shoot, you've got people sitting around enjoying ice cream, then of course, we're going to use fake ice cream. But I do have um, a couple of clients that will let me use ice cream. I have a client that just specializes in shakes. And so we make all these cool shakes so they can advertise them. And we use fake ice cream for that, which is just so much better for me. It just the stress of using real ice cream is just crazy because you're just constantly replacing it. And it just sucks so much time out of the day. So if you can use fake ice cream. And I do have, I've posted my recipes, I think on my blog, I have the recipe for hard fake ice cream that you scoop. And I also have the one for soft ice cream that you can, you know, have come out like it comes out of the soft soft serve. Mm -hmm. Wow. All right. I'm going to try all these next time. (laughs) I'm going to take notes. (laughs) But I do have, if you're interested, I do have a food styling course that teaches you how to do all of these things. Every tip I just said, I have um, an online food styling styling course. You can find it on my blog um, and it has 35 videos that teach you everything. Cheese, meat, ice cream, drinks, everything, how to get condensation, uh, salads, wraps, all of those things. So and I have, I have that course and <laughs> I'm on that course <laughs> and I've referred to it so many times. And I know that I had checked out the, you have a soup section as well, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. And then I had to shoot a soup with bok choy and I had, I was like, Susie, I'm shooting this. How do I handle this? <laughs> and you were, immediately, you answered my question. And that's how I shot that uh, soup. So yeah, that course has been incredible. It's such a great resource. Amazing. So that's just such a wealth of knowledge, really. You make you. food styling seem fun, artistic. It is fun. It is. <laughs> <laughs> my my favorite, like it's just embedded in my brain. I can never forget the image of that burger that you shot with Joni Simon. It was incredible. And I know that you guys worked so well together and Joni talked all about it and we saw it on your feed. And my latest favorite is the cereal shoot. And oh, I, I can't <laughs> wait till I can post those. I can't wait. Yeah. We did so many pours. I did. Oh, you should see them. I did some really cool pours and you can just see. And that was more of a natural thing. A lot of times when we do things like that, like pours, we do them in slow-mo because then you can capture it. You know, it's way easier to capture splashes and pours if you, if you shoot it in slow-mo. But that would be, of course, a video thing. 
so we we were doing stills. So we just we just put it on high speed sync and just really just rapid fire got all of them. And so we'd we'd shoot like twenty shots, but then one of them would just have that perfect hit where the milk would just hit it and it would just splash. So that was really fun. I can't wait till I can post those photos. And also also that you used glue to yes. do the stills. I that was a real revelation. Like <laughs> I had never imagined. Gosh, that's my favorite. So far. I don't I don't use glue a lot, but in this in this shoot it worked out so well because it's kind of like the ice cream, the fake ice cream thing. You know, you can't just pour milk on cereal and expect it to stay up on the line that it's in. So we were doing all these overhead shots uh, where we were pouring real milk, but we wanted it to look like. So I just went around all the edges with the Elmer's glue and made it look like a nice milk line, a nice white milk line. Yes. And then we, when we'd pour it, it just looked so much more refreshing than dry cereal. So we did that a lot in that shoot. And it looked absolutely real. It looks so real. <laughs> Amazing. All right, Susie, this has been so fun. I have one last question for you. Yes. Now that food styling has become such a big thing, how, how does one take it up professionally and how does one succeed in the field? Just knowing also how the trends have changed over the years. What's your advice? I, a lot of people ask me this. How can they, how can they get into food styling? And I would say that you would be doing the client a disservice if you showed up on set pretending to be a food stylist that has actual experience on set. And I would say on set is super important. Just, you know, if you just shoot things in your kitchen and you understand your camera and you know a little bit about food styling, it's not the same thing. And so I was really lucky that I had those three years of on set experience. So I, I could talk the talk and I knew the lingo when I started you know, putting myself out there, but I didn't have any food photos to post. So I, I would say the most important thing is to get yourself a portfolio. You need to create a website. And the, what I did was I found a photographer that needed photos too. And we contributed our services together. I think I bought the food and I made the food and we shot it and he got photos and I got photos and I put them all on my website. And then, you know, nobody knew my name. I just, I, I had to get my name out there. So I literally put on heels. I parked downtown and I started going going to visit photographers um, and ad agency people um, like producers a lot. And just, I, I just told them, this is what I do. And I show them my, I had, I printed a brochure that had like two pages of photos on it. And it was funny because they were all from the same sh shoot. Cause we only like, we got together and we shot all these things. And so I was kind of faking it a little bit, um, <laughs> but you know, so, but I knew how to be on set and that is super important. So I would say to get experience being on set, you need to follow somebody you need to find somebody to assist and I and I would do it for free because if it's that important to you you could intern or or go do a couple of shoots with a food stylist or a photographer or whatever and um, and learn that and just do it for free because there's not usually money in the budget and the, the food stylist or the photographer is not going to want to pay somebody that's so green to come in and help so if it's important to you you'll do some things for free and, and then if you can get on set a few times and see really what happens on set and have that kind of set etiquette and sense of timing and what goes on, then you'll be way more prepared. I said, I, I said this was the last question, but I have one more question. <laughs> okay. and, and I would just absolutely love to know, like, what are your future plans with respect to food styling? And what is Susie planning? How is, how are the next five or 10 years looking for you? Oh, wow. 
<laughs> I might not have a good answer for you. I can I will continue doing what I'm doing, but I kind of hyped it up in the last few years when I created my food styling course. And then I had plans to do a second one and I still may do it, but I'm not in a place to do it right now because another thing that's super important to anyone in their lives is that they have good balance and that they have rest time and they have time away. And I kind of got to a place with how much I work because I work so much and then trying to manage the other side of the business, which is social media and making a, a course and editing all of that, that I really kind of burned out a little bit. And I realized I was really miserable and I just didn't have any time for myself. So I kind of stopped for a little bit. I didn't ever stop food styling, of course. Um, I actually even stopped posting because, you know, it, you don't think it would take so long to post a photo. It just does. You know, you sit down and you think, I'll hurry and post this. And then something goes wrong with it and they can't find this and it won't post. And, and you look up and you've spent 45 minutes trying to post this one photo. And I just really had to step away for a while and quit posting. I, I would always do my stories, which I think is really more valuable to people because like you said, they love people love seeing the behind the scenes. They just love seeing what what's going on on set and really the crazy things I have to do more than a beautiful photo that I post, you know, on Instagram. So I, I continue to do that because it's easy because I'm just on set. So I've taken a little bit of a break from that part of it. And and I'm starting to now post again, I'm getting a feeling a little bit better about getting involved in it again. I don't know if I have any plans to do anything big because I'm kind of winding down a little. Um, I'm 57. So I feel like I have maybe five years left that I'd like to really go at it full time. I don't think I'll ever really be able to stop because it's just kind of who I am and what I do. But I think there'll come a time in about five years that I might start picking and choosing clients and working a little less so I can just really getting closer to retirement and start, you know, having some fun. But yeah, so I wish I had a better answer for you because I don't have anything exciting to tell you right at the point, this point, but I may do the second course, which would be kind of after you learn how to food style. Now, what do you do with it? How do you dress the set? And, and the things that we talked about, how do you make a business of it? Who do you see? How do you approach clients? How do you bill? You know, what do you charge? That kind of thing. And I know that would be super valuable. So for that reason, I'd really like to do it. I'd like to give that second half to people so so they have that information. So that may come. I just don't have a date yet. All right. First, you don't look 57 <laughs> at all. <laughs> Thank no you. way. I would not have guessed. And second, that course sounds incredible. I mean, that is the kind of information the world is really waiting for and people would love to know. So good luck with that. And we would be thank waiting you. if that if that <laughs> once that releases. But otherwise, thank you so much, Susie. This was amazing. Like I learned so much and whatever, however, I have known you on Instagram, like meeting you in person virtually mm -hmm. was I my impression of you was exactly the same. You're kind, you're generous and you're such a wealth of knowledge in your field. I always call you my uh, styling guru and <laughs> I think you'll continue to be that. So thank you for sharing all this with us. Thank you so much. I'm so happy you asked me because I just love doing this. And so I hope it was, hope it was good for you and inform, informational and, you know, worth it. <laughs> and can you tell us, our, uh, tell our audience where they yes. can find you, uh, your website, social media, and all other fun stuff? Right. Yeah. So I just pretty much go by Susie Eaton Designs, which is S-U-Z-Y-E-A-T-O-N 
design. So I have a, I have a couple of websites. I have susieaton.com, which is kind of my professional one that my clients look at to hire me. And then I have my Susie Eaton Designs where you can find my course and my blog. And and then the same thing for Instagram. It's just Susie Eaton Designs. You can follow Perfect. my story. See me on oh set. <laughs> oh my God. If you have not seen Susie's stories, you have to see. You'll be hooked. I can never watch. I can never stop watching the stories, including the ones where you paint the walls. I've seen those too. Oh yeah. Yes. I need to paint re, uh, repost that book one because that one took me so long where I did the books on the on the shelf yeah yes I remember that all right thank you so much Susie thank you for taking the time out and I'm sure this is going to be such a power episode for all our audience thank you great thank you you're awesome so that was Susie and wasn't she awesome? I just love her work. And she's such a humble and kind and generous person who has been incredibly helpful uh, to me whenever I've reached out to her with a question. And you can see how generous she was with her knowledge today on this episode. So guys, do check her out on Instagram and definitely follow her because her Insta stories are not to be missed. Uh, her website and her course, I'm going to link it down in the show notes so that you can take a look at it. And I truly hope that she does make that second course because that sounded amazing didn't it all right guys with this i'm going to take your leave and if you have any questions about food styling please feel free to shoot it to me or to send to Susie yourself um, and with that i will see you next week with another episode bye bye